Good morning. It's good to be with you, even if it is electronically. And we're continuing this morning with our study of the short book, First Thessalonians, which, as many of you will already know, was probably the first New Testament document written. This is an old letter. It's been around a long while. It was written probably 15 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. This is very ancient Christian writing and thinking, and very important for us today. The theme we're picking up as we go through this great letter is the theme of good news in hard times. It was very relevant for the church in Thessalonica, and it's very relevant for us today. Good news we see in the fifth verse of chapter 1, our gospel came to you, says Paul. And of course, the word gospel means good news. Our good news came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So there's good news. It's a key part of this book. But hard times were a part of this book, and they're hard. They're part of what's going on with us today with the virus and so forth. Later in chapter 3, Paul talks about how circumstances, with some help from Satan, had prevented him, Paul, from visiting the Thessalonians. He was probably in Corinth when he wrote this letter. They're in Thessalonica, maybe 120 miles away as the crow flies, and he wanted to visit, but it seemed like circumstances kept conspiring to prevent that. So they were facing hardship. They needed this visit to happen, but it kept getting deferred. So there's that and there's persecution. So along with possessing the good news and being possessed by the good news, these people are facing hardship. And that is what Paul is speaking to in the five chapters of this letter. This morning, we want to concentrate on just three verses in 1 Thessalonians. They're the last three verses in chapter 3. They're a kind of a benediction or a prayer. So chapter 3, verses 11 to 13, and here's what Paul says. We'll read it now, and then we'll unpack it in the next few minutes. Starting at verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself... And our Lord Jesus, direct our way to you. They want to come visit, but Paul is needing God's enabling for that to happen. May he direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is high-protein, high-octane stuff. So let's make our way through these packed verses and see what the Holy Spirit will say to us. Good news in hard times. Paul unfolds that hope-filled theme in these verses in three principles or truths that he gives us. One, 
God always makes a way. Whatever you're facing, whatever we're facing individually, as families, as married couples, as a church, take this to heart. God always makes a way. Where did Paul get this confidence? He got it because he knew the Old Testament. If perhaps we take the resurrection of Jesus as the New Testament's greatest miracle, I think I'd vote for the crossing of the Red Sea or the opening of the Red Sea as the Old Testament's greatest miracle. And you know what that miracle was? It was God making a way. They had Pharaoh's army behind them, chasing them, but in front of them they had this huge body of water. They were stuck. But God made a way. He always makes a way. Looking back over the entire Bible and all of human history, the human race was stuck in a worse position than Israel in between the sea and Pharaoh. The human race was lost in sin. What did God do? Same thing as he did for Israel. He made a way. He sent Jesus to die for our sins, to rise again, and to reconcile us sinners to a holy God. He always makes a way. We need to have this confidence, this confidence in a waymaker God. I know we, a lot of us like that song. We sing it, uh, South Gateway, Waymaker. It's a great song and it's very biblical. We need to know that deep in our hearts in these days because of the virus and a hundred other things. We need to know that God makes a way. You may be wrestling with, for example, issues like what do we do, what do you do with your children's education? In the middle of the virus, etc., do you keep them home? Do you say, okay, we'll just homeschool this year? And if we do that, is it okay for them to have friends over? How do we navigate that? We have a large extended family. Lots of people in southern Manitoba do. What about when someone wants to have a big family reunion or family gathering? And there's different feelings about how to navigate the COVID thing. What about going shopping? We're out of groceries. What do we do? Every day we face the need for God to provide strategies and wisdom and solution. How do we find our way through this? We do it the way Paul did it. He went back to the scriptures he'd been raised with about the God who always makes a way. And he looked to him, and here's what he said to the Thessalonians. He said, may, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. We can solve anything if we start at it with the confidence, God will get me through this. God, God will give us a strategy. He's got a solution. He's got an answer. Saints, it's good news in hard times. And here's what we need to write on a flag and wave it above our heads as we move forward. God always makes a way, whatever it is. We have to know that truth. It's just who God is.
It's who God is. Okay, that's point one. Good news in hard times. God always makes a way. Second thing Paul says, it's the second point in this prayer or benediction he gives us at uh, the end of chapter three, is this. Just a moment. My pages are turned around here. Bear with me. God is the God of increase. God's the God who always makes a way. Red Sea, sinners lost in sin, whatever it is, he makes a way. He's also the God of increase. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 May the Lord make you increase. Note that word. Biblically, theologically, that's a hugely important term in Scripture. May the Lord make you increase in love for one another. The idea of the God of increase goes clear back to Genesis 1. Be fruitful and multiply, uh, God said to Adam and Eve. Near the end of the book of Genesis, chapter 47, verse 27, we're told that Israel in the land of Egypt, even when they were in the early end of their four centuries of abject slavery, we're told that they were fruitful and they multiplied greatly. What's going on? How can a bunch of slaves be fruitful and multiply? Because the God of increase was with them. That's why. Paul in Colossians 1, a different letter in Colossians, talks about the gospel moving forward and moving out among the nations. And he describes it, Colossians 1, 6, the gospel was bearing fruit and increasing. Now Paul's asking God to increase the Thessalonians' ability to love each other. There are strategies we can think about in learning to love one another. We remember thoughts like ideas, principles, give and take in a marriage, in a family, in a church, give and take. Being quick to listen and slow to speak. That's another one. That's in the book of James. Making allowances for people. Putting others' interests above, above our own. These are biblical strategies. But in addition to wise and very biblical strategies, we need the enabling of God, the God of increase, who will increase our capacity to love each other. Some years ago, our son John and our daughter Susan gave Velma and me a weekend away at a, a bed and breakfast down in the States. It was in uh, Minnesota. It was great fun. We really enjoyed it. A very elegant old house turned into a and b and this place, the town, sat right on the Mississippi River, or next to it, anyway. And we learned from people that lived there, the town had an interesting history wrapped up with the logging industry. And we heard stories about what would happen in years gone by when there would be log jams. The, the, the loggers would chop down thousands of trees, throw them in the river so they would float downstream to the lumber mill. But sometimes there'd be so many trees, you'd get a log jam and no more trees could get through. Ships couldn't get through. Boats couldn't get through. People couldn't get through. Nothing could get through. Now, there was a radical 
and sometimes dangerous solution to log jams. They would send crews of men out across the river walking on these hundreds of piled up jammed logs and they'd plant dynamite charges among the trees, among these tree trunks, and they'd blow it up. It was dangerous, it was expensive, and they had lost lots of timber by doing it. Sometimes it was the only method they had, except one other. Sometimes the Christians in the town would say, well, you know what else we can do? We can pray for rain. And they'd have prayer meetings and they'd ask God to send two or three days of good, solid rain because that would raise the water level, widen the river, and the logs would start moving. Every person listening to this talk this morning, as well as the person giving it, knows this. We often get into log jams in our relationships. Everything is crunched together. Nothing is moving. The only solutions we can think of are fooey on this place. I'm going to go to a different church. Fooey on my husband. I'm sick of him. I'm going to file for divorce. That's the dynamite method. All those things. God has an answer, and it's what Paul was asking God to do for the Thessalonians, that he would be for them the God of of increase. He had the entire Old Testament and New Testament and the ministry of the Lord Jesus behind him on thinking this and praying it. May the, may the Lord make you increase. If you're in a log jam because of relationship struggles, because of the virus, Pray for increase. Praise that, pray that the Lord will raise the water level. If you pray that prayer, you're praying a very biblical prayer. What have we seen so far? God's the God of increase. Pardon me. He's the God who always makes a way. That was the first one. He's the God who always makes a way. And he's the God of increase. Good news in hard times. Good news in hard times. The third thing we see Paul tell us that we need to lay hold of is this. God completes what he begins. God completes what he begins. Here's Paul in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 3.13. God will establish your hearts blameless in holiness, at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Many of you may be like I am and be able to recall the day you first came to Christ. Some of us that met the Lord as very, very young children don't maybe remember the moment. Others of us do. I was 17. And when that happens, when we come with all our hang-ups and issues and unfinished business and whatnot, when we come to the Lord, do you know what happens? We receive cleansing. We become like two or three people that Jesus meets in the Gospels, and he says, your sins are forgiven. 
That's you the day you came to him. Your sins are forgiven. At the beginning of his work in us, right off the top, he cleanses us through Christ. But that's the beginning. He cleanses us through Christ, and then he works with us to complete that work. That was the beginning. The cleansing is the beginning. And then he continues to work in us to bring that to completion. The completion is, according to Romans 8.29, we will be conformed to the image of his Son. So the story begins, God's work in us begins with cleansing. It's fulfilled, it's completed with conforming, with God conforming us by doing a deep, gentle, faithful, but powerful work in us to make us like Christ. That's a gradual thing while we're on this earth in the present age, but God will bring it to a glorious climax. First John says, the letter of First John says, when we see him, we will be like him. That transforming vision at the return of Christ. First Corinthians 15, about the resurrection of the body, Paul says, we will be changed both in our physical bodies and in our character, will be transformed to be like Jesus. Matthew, I believe it's chapter 13, Jesus says, the righteous will shine like the sun, shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, because God will complete his good work and establish our hearts blameless. Blameless in holiness. Let that little phrase, blameless in holiness, percolate through your brains today. That's the destination. And if we hold on to Christ, God will get us there. Good news in hard times. God will complete what he has begun. Another memory from our children growing up, once the King's School did a one-day ski trip up to the ski slope at Stony Mountain. Maybe many of you have been there. And I've never been much of a skier, but I've given it a try a few times. And that day, I went along with the school group, and our daughter, Susan, was, was with the group. I think she was maybe uh, 10 years old. That's a guess. I'm not sure. And we had so much fun. It was a great adventure. It's not a real big ski place, but it's, it's big enough to be a, a bit of an adventure. If you've been there, you'll know that it has this, uh, instead of a chairlift, at least when I was, was last there, instead of a chairlift, it was a tow rope. So you have to wrap your arms around it and plant your skis in front of you facing forward. Uh, and you hold on tight enough and it'll get you back up the slope when you can go down again. So Susan and I both were not experienced, and we kept tumbling down and getting our skis crossed and falling to the side and had to crawl all the way back down the hill. It was becoming a bit frustrating. So I finally thought, I think I know what we're doing wrong. I said, Susan, come here. I want you to stand in front of me, lean back into me, 
put your hands around the rope, I'll put my hands around the rope, but here's the thing we both are doing wrong. We're looking down at our skis. That was our problem. I said, this time we're going to go up, we're going to keep our eyes at the top of the hill where the rope is taking us. We got up in 30 seconds or 60 seconds, we were at the top of the hill. The rest of the day, we didn't have any problem. Saints, one of the Satan's favorite tricks is to get us focused on ourselves. He gets us looking at our skis. You look at your skis and all of a sudden they go like this. And you can't ski uphill or down when your skis are crossed. Just doesn't work. When we keep our eyes on the top of the slope, it's just something's different. I don't, I can't explain it. But you keep your eyes on the top of the slope and your skis remain parallel and you ascend up the slope. If we're in hard times, and because of COVID and other things, many of us in these days are, the answer is to believe the promise that God completes what he begins. You're cleansed when you first come to Christ, but the same Christ who cleansed you will conform you to be like him. That process is already in motion right now, if you're a Christian. And it will come to completion. It's the idea of completion. God will establish our hearts blameless in holiness at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. What's going to happen? You're going to shine like the sun in the kingdom of your father, Jesus himself says in Matthew 13. Because God completes what he begins. We're looking here at good news in hard times. Let me run back through the three points we made, and then I'll turn it back over to Norm. Good news in hard times. God always makes a way. Good news in hard times. God is the God of increase, especially in enabling us to love one another. Let him raise the water level in your heart, in your relationships with other people. And finally, God is the one who completes what he begins. We're in hard times in these days, but we've got good news. Keep your eyes on the top of the slope. Keep them on Christ. In Jesus' name, God bless.